0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of When Sky Invented Football, this time Liverpool and the furlough U-turn. And one of the biggest names in world football were forced into an embarrassing climb down over taxpayer-funded pay. This is all because of coronavirus, of course, and the UK government's plan to offer laid-off staff 80% of their wages, up to two and a half grand a month, if their employer keeps them on the books when they have no work to do during this pandemic. Most people seem to think it's a good idea. It prevents workers being plunged overnight into unemployment and poverty and it helps their bosses retain staff who can then return to work as soon as it is safe to do so. But the idea that big Premier League clubs should take advantage of this scheme, well, for many people that is a no-no. The idea that organisations who sometimes pay their players 2 or 300 grand a week would simultaneously accept a handout from the taxpayer for their lower paid staff, well, that just sits very uneasily with many people, especially if those clubs are owned by billionaires like Spurs are and Newcastle are and, yes, European champions Liverpool. Well, to discuss this, I'm joined by the... Film producer and director Lawrence Leonard of Yadda Yadda Productions. He's my co-conspirator in the forthcoming documentary When Sky Invented Football and he's a Spurs fan I should also say we'll be hearing from the other end of football's financial spectrum as well, from Lee Pomlet, the chairman of Warsaw Football Club. But uh, first, Lawrence, Liverpool, it's a U-turn. Some people are saying, well done, Liverpool. Other people are saying, come on, it's ridiculous. They should never have gone down this route in the first place.
1: Hello, Adrian. Well, I've got to say, I'm probably in the, in the latter camp. I think it's incredible that they went in this direction in the first place, just given how much goodwill they bought by Jurgen Klopp's really fantastic responses when he was asked about coronavirus in press conferences and such like where he said quite clearly I'm a football manager I'm not a doctor you shouldn't be listening to me you should be listening to the science so you couldn't help but think that they'd really got their house in order when it came to coronavirus it's a good U-turn but they shouldn't have made the turn in the first place or even needed to.
0: And they are a vastly profitable club. I mean, there will be people. I was chatting to somebody about this uh, yesterday and uh, saying that it's a weird world, isn't it, football? You can have people on 60, 80, 100, 200 grand a week rubbing shoulders, using the same workplace as somebody who might be on 20 grand a year. So yeah, Liverpool could easily have afforded not to have taken advantage of the, the taxpayer-funded scheme, as indeed is, now is proving to be the case.
1: Well, they could have easily afforded to do so. And also, just think about it in terms of the community that they represent. It's such a close community. There's so much love in Liverpool for for how they're playing and how they're succeeding at the moment. Um, and obviously, I say that as a slightly jaded Spurs fan. This could have been their opportunity to really cement their history, not just on the pitch,
0: but but a legacy off the pitch. And I, I can't help but feel they've tarnished that a bit. And you were chatting to me just before we started recording. You say, what was their, their last profits? Was it 42 million quid? The 2018-2019 the
1: season, so that would have been last year when they won the Champions League, they had a pre-tax profit of 42 million pounds. So easily, I mean, it's, it seems ridiculous to even say it, but how easily could they have afforded to, to not furlough those staff and make them
0: feel secure in what is a very challenging time? Yeah, and it's fair to say that the Fenway Sports Group, the owners, J.W. Henry and so on, are not short of a bob or two. And Liverpool have got this thing about them, which I know does slightly irritate other supporters as well. The the sense that... They think of themselves as more than a club, if you like, to, to borrow that phrase from Barcelona. You know, there's, uh, and personally, I'm one of those people who actually likes Liverpool. I love Liverpool, the city. I actually like Liverpool, the football club. But I know that within the wider football community, there's a little bit of cynicism both towards the city of Liverpool. I think some of that is prejudiced and some of it is unfair but but some of it as well is you know just pure jealousy because liverpool have been so successful for such a long period of time but it's not enough i think for liverpool fans to feel that that they are successful you know that for liverpool it's it's there's got to be more than that and that affinity with the community that sense of doing the right thing is really important to Liverpool. I've been chatting to people this week from the the Spirit of Shankly group and you know the it's the only fans group that I know that is actually formally a trade union. So you know there is definitely a different air and a different spirit about Liverpool support. It, it's hardcore Liverpool based support than is true of other fan groups, I think.
1: I think that's absolutely right. I mean even if you look at look at the big 6, look at Manchester City, they couldn't for one second Ever have that affinity uh, with the community that Liverpool have, because there is something that harks back, I think, to the to the old days, to the to the pre Premier League era. There is a romance with clubs like Liverpool, like with Manchester United, that sort of permeates through the whole of their communities. And just to see that they've had to make this U-turn, having made a really really poor decision in the first place, I think just reflects really badly on them, unfortunately. And I'd be interested to hear what the community in Liverpool thinks about it as well, despite the U-turn.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mentioned the the group Spirit of Shankly and Liverpool's chief executive in his statement that he made about this U-turn said that, you know, they had taken on board the views of various stakeholders, including Spirit of Shankly. But they must have had a tin ear not to have heard the furore uh, about Spurs doing the same thing, about about Newcastle doing the same thing. I, I should say as well, I mean, these are not the only Premier League clubs who are going to take the, the government money for their lower paid staff. So both Norwich City have done so. Uh, I think in Norwich's case, it's, it's more excusable because although they are pumped up with Premier League money, they're, they're essentially not a rich club. Uh, Bournemouth, although they get relatively low gates because they've got a small stadium, as far as I'm aware, I have got a very wealthy uh, backer. But certainly you look at Newcastle, who are owned by one of the country's richest men, Mike Ashley. Yeah. And yeah. your club Spurs, <laughs> I mean, owned by Joe Lewis, who is always in the Sunday Times' rich list. I was reading a newspaper report from 2017 about Joe Lewis. He's worth more than £4 billion. He's He, he lives on a yacht, or this time he was living on a yacht in 2017, the yacht alone is worth 112 million quid.
1: <laughs> What's a yacht got to look like to be worth 112 million? What features does the yacht have? Got another yacht inside the yacht that's how. It goes.
0: Apparently he he doesn't go to Spurs that often. Uh, but I mean wh- why would you when you've got a 112 million pound yacht? And I imagine no problem with the uh, the
1: Sky TV connection to watch the matches. I mean, this is a, this is the club, Adrian. Who, in the same time period, the 2018 2019 season, they recorded a profit of. Are you ready for this? 87.4 million pounds. They could easily afford to cover this. And again, you know, Spurs. It is part of the community. Lots of those people will live in and be part of the Tottenham community, and it just seems like such a shame for them that after all these years of support, this happens to them. And obviously no one, as someone who does what I do, no one, no one could for a second ever budget for global pandemics or anything like that, and let's hope we never have to again. But it just seems incredible that when people are at their lowest ebb the rug has been pulled out from them because the players can move on. The players can go to other clubs. But those ground staff and those support staff, they're not going to go anywhere else. They have as much affinity and what would feel like a personal ownership to those clubs than than anyone else.
0: There is a counter-argument to this, and I think we should consider it, which is that football clubs are significant taxpayers. And so far, the PFA, the Players' Union has resisted any formal takedown of pay. They are in negotiations about that, but I know that at some clubs, for example, Manchester United, the players have donated 30% of their monthly wages to a local NHS trust in the Greater Manchester area. So, you know, there are players out there who are accepting the, the kind of collective responsibility of this moment. But the bigger argument here is that football clubs are significant taxpayers, they pay their taxes, so that when money comes back to them from the taxpayer at these times of crisis, well, in a sense, they've earned it and that, that football clubs aren't kind of easy whipping boys for the media and for politicians.
1: Well, I don't disagree with you uh, to some extent, Adrian, but, but why must they be the only whipping boys? I mean, if this pandemic has shown us anything recently, it's not just football clubs who have really mismanaged their staff. We've seen lots of big names and big organisations really pushing the brunt of this stress onto their frontline staff and that seems to be a real travesty to be honest with you and I think anyone would agree with that that those that can shoulder some of this responsibility ultimately should. People are stuck at home, they're worried, they shouldn't have their worries increased by people who could easily put their hand in their pocket and would I'm sure cover those costs quite quickly because people are going to flood back into those football stadiums once they're open. I think people will be absolutely baying to see anything by that point.
0: Uh, it is interesting though the PFA's attitude, I know that uh, Matt Hancock, the health secretary, has said, look, footballers have got to accept it's time to take a, a pay cut. So far, uh, from my sources within football, I'm being told the PFA are to an extent digging their heels in. Probably some kind of deal will be done. But again, the PFA making the point that if players' wages are cut, then the amount of income tax they pay will be cut. Uh, and therefore their contribution to the NHS will be cut. So yeah, I think there's something in that argument. I don't disagree with you on that at all. But
1: let's not forget that this is a short-term measure that we're hoping will be the next three months. So when we look at the... The need for a cash injection, which is clearly what this is, I don't think it would be too bad for the PFA to actually come to a deal quite quickly on this. Obviously, there are brilliant examples of footballers who have already stuck their hands very deeply into their pockets. Danny Rose springs to mind immediately, tried to do it anonymously. Someone found out it was him. And I'm sure that lots of other people will be making huge charitable donations. We're not for for a second suggesting that footballers themselves aren't in any way charitable. And I'm sure we'll do whatever's asked of them come the time.
0: Yeah, I think there's been there's loads of examples of individual footballers acts of generosity and some incredible acts of generosity by football clubs as well. So it is right and proper to reflect that, but given that the reason we're making our documentary is the kind of the concern people have with the the kind of hubris that the Premier League embodies, you know, the the sense that there are certain clubs with a sense of entitlement and a kind of arrogance about a right to a position in the top 4 or the top six when you look at how Spurs have behaved when you look at how Liverpool have behaved and until this U-turn it kind of embodies that doesn't it it kind of shows that actually if you think that's what football clubs are like actually at the top level they really are like that. A lot of them, anyway. Interesting. Man City and Man United, as I say, at club level, have both been accepting of the their responsibilities, if you like, to pay their their whole staff wages through this time. But the the attitudes of of Liverpool until their U-turn and Spurs it has kind of been the worst of football arrogance, I think. The worst of a tin-eared approach, not listening, not being in touch with its with its core constituency.
1: But I think isn't that always the case, though? I mean, we've discovered that repeatedly when we've been um, conducting interviews for, for the documentary that we're making, that there just seems to be this disparity, doesn't there, between the expectations of the boardroom and what they can achieve through the club as a financial vehicle and what the fans of the club and those who follow and support them and fill the seats want from the club. And it it is that desire to stay in the money and in the Premier League that that kind of props this whole thing up which, as we know, just maintains that stranglehold for those big four or those big six clubs. And hopefully this will be a time to... To pause and reflect and who knows maybe even restart the season and if we do maybe Tottenham could have a different manager or their old one back. <laughs> oh, we're not
0: going to restart the season mode but let's just get a little flavour of the other end of the uh, the football spectrum. I spoke uh, to Lee Pomlett. Lee is the chairman of Warsaw Football Club uh, in League Two and was just keen to kind of get his sense and his take of, of what coronavirus means for clubs Like Warsaw. So I started by asking him how they're actually managing the current crisis.
2: It's a financial uh, management almost on a micro basis at two o'clock and at 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock in the morning and two o'clock in the afternoon. Every day we review the business and review the cash in the business, particularly, and plan for um, a six month horizon and a uh, three month horizon so that we sort of have a plan depending on how long the coronavirus lasts. So, um, you know, we're working very hard uh, as a team to make sure that we we manage the consequences of this on a three-month and a six-month planning horizon.
0: And how are you managing it, given that you have no spectators coming through the gate?
2: Well, you've got cash coming in. Quite a lot of advertising still goes on. Warsaw's fortunate in some respects because we have advertising, um, boardings, mega signs up outside looking over the the M6. And so you still get some revenue from that. Uh, you've got cash coming in from the season tickets, which um, has been successful, you know, surprisingly actually successful coming in. And you've got um, the cash coming in from the EFL and from the Premier League bringing forward cash, which is ours anyway, actually but bringing it forward uh, from August um, mainly to now to enable us to survive the uh, coronavirus period. So it's, it's more about a phasing of cash from the future to the now, along with cash coming in from season tickets and some advertising revenue. So it's quite a complex picture. And then, of course, you've got the um, furloughing of a number of staff members at the football club and again, we have to wait for the cash to come from the government, which will probably be some weeks away, to be uh, to be honest. So a very complex um, set of dynamics going on there, uh, which I say we review at 10 and 2 every day.
0: Fans are showing faith in the club then, investing up front in next season's season ticket, even though they're not sure of the outcome of this season.
2: Yeah, it's extraordinary, actually, that um, we, we launched what we call the early bird, um, as most clubs do. I extended it a little bit to allow people more time, but it came towards sort of a week before the coronavirus really hit. Yeah, extraordinarily, the fans have responded to it. Um, And I've got to say, we've sold more season tickets this year than we did the same time last year.
0: Can you put a figure on that?
2: No, I won't put a figure on that. But I think, um, you know, we're talking about you know hundreds more, which um, is extremely good of them in, in, in you know, worrying in uncertain circumstances. Um, but we, we rely on, you know, we, we have a hard core of between two or 3,000 season tickets with an average crowd of five four five thousand, 4,000, 5,000. So it's an important element of it. And that that core of the season tickets up to around, you know, i give you exact figures, Adrian, but around 2,000-ish, which we'll push towards in this phase of the early bird is rather more than I expected, to be honest. And, um, you know, I've gone on record as thanking the Warsaw fans for the way they've responded to this.
0: Do you think some clubs will go bust?
2: It's possible.
0: If you've got a wage
2: bill which exceeds your revenue, which some clubs have, you know, you do the maths. Uh, We don't. We have a wage bill which is controlled well below well below our revenue. But some the, some clubs I know have a wage bill which is higher than their income. Just the wage bill of the players, that is. Not the wage bill of the, the club, but the wage bill of the players. That's, you know, that by any standards, whether you're running a football club or running anything else, is an unsustainable business model. We don't do that at Warsaw and we never have.
0: What's happening at the moment about paying players and staff?
2: Well, we're paying them at the moment. Um, you know, we, we, uh, We're paying them as we would normally do. We have furloughed all of our staff. Well, not actually not all of them. The majority of them, we've got our skeleton staff still on. Um, but a, a lot of them have been furloughed. We have furloughed the players in the sense they've all got letters. Uh, but the PFA and the EFL have to reach an agreement before we can really furlough the footballers. The footballers have been very sensible in Warsaw, to be honest, and they've been very helpful ringing fans and uh, particularly the older fans. They've done a great job. But getting them furloughed is something the PFA have got involved in. The other staff within Warsaw Football Club have just been furloughed and accepted that as a consequence of coronavirus and done that extremely sensibly, to be fair to them. The football players are just a, a longer... Process because the PFA are involved and meetings are going on to try and resolve that. The PFA, I think, um, will need to accept the fact that footballers will have a reduction in their wages for the duration of the coronavirus, and that doesn't mean that we'll pay them sometime in the future. You know, this, um, that, that what we'll do is whatever we don't pay them now, we'll pay them in the future. That's again, that's just going to create cash flow problems for the business later on in the process. You know, everyone in the football club, from chief executive down, will be facing a, um, a reduction in their uh, wages or their salary. And the footballers should be no exception to that.
0: So whatever the contracts say, the PFA are going to have to accept that, like the rest of us in society, their members are going to have to take a hit?
2: Yes, they are going to have to take a hit because everyone else is, and it's only right and proper and fair. But as I say, uh, Warsaw Football Club is not going to go it alone at this. We're waiting for guidance off the EFL after conversations with the, um, the PFA. Then we'll take some action. It needs to happen you know, reasonably quickly now.
0: So there we go, Lawrence. That's Lee, who's the chairman of Walsall Football Club. And although he's obviously a you know very moderate kind of guy and Walsall aren't going to go it alone, I take away from that message that if the PFA don't accept wage cuts for players, then certainly at some of the lower levels, there could potentially be redundancies because clubs will not be able to meet the contracted requirements of those players.
1: Seems to be exactly what he was taking from it. I mean, you know, you can't help but wonder how small the staff, that skeleton staff is, how many staff are involved. But clearly the biggest cost of the club is the players. You wonder how long they'll still be receiving advertising income from, given that we know across the board there is less advertising because there is less activity. And you can only sort of wish them well, really. It's amazing um, how the communities come around them and, invested in season tickets and things like that but but clearly they're they they're wanting to get a deal done with the pfa and and who can blame them for that
0: yeah i mean warsaw in terms of advertising as as lee said they're in quite an odd position or an unusual position they've got this they've got this site right alongside junction nine of the m6 (laughs) so they've got one advertising hoarding there which is mammoth in fact uh, on one occasion uh, they actually had aston villa were advertising season tickets <laughs> on Warsaw's advertising hoarding. But, you know, even that, even though it's an asset for the club and uh, they have uh, traditionally had a Sunday market there because they've got a big space around the stadium, uh, that, is, that doesn't pay the wages of a professional football club. You need people going through the gate uh, week in, week out. And I, I did speak to uh, somebody else who's involved in a, uh, a football league club today who said to me that they think that football will be paid but behind closed doors, with with all the consequent effects that will have for revenue, you know, before we get back to the stage of having matches played in stadiums again. I, I know there's been talk, hasn't there? I don't know how practical this is, and we discussed this on last week's episode, about whether we can have kind of some TV bonanza of matches played in a short period of time, clubs in kind of semi-isolation, in quarantine, like a World Cup camp. Now, even if that were feasible, that would be all well and good for the for the Premier League. But are they really going to be TV interested in that for League One and League Two? And maybe, maybe well, there will be, I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe there will be. I mean, you know, there's there's
1: definitely the platforms for it. There's definitely... The hunger for it. There's definitely people like me who get to a Saturday afternoon and miss having something to look at. It doesn't matter, you know, who's playing. You always want to know what the results are and what's going on. Um, who just missed the soap opera of it? I mean, trying to find the positives in all, in amongst all of this, maybe that will give some more airtime and some more exposure to clubs like Warsaw and those who are further down the leagues and further down the divisions and give them an opportunity to
0: um, show people what they're about. Maybe they could go and play on Joe Lewis's yacht. I mean, surely his yacht has got to be big enough to host two or three games at one time, hasn't it? You'd imagine there's a football pitch on that yacht. You'd
1: imagine there's a a decent-sized stadium on that yacht.
0: I mean, 112 million pounds, isn't that... isn't that as much as the Spurs paid for their new stadium? <laughs> uh, it was a little bit more than
1: that, but it's certainly quite a vast sum of cash Yeah, to, uh, to spend on a boat. That's for certain. <laughs> Having said that, back in the day, I, I think Roman Abramovich had an even larger yacht and possibly still does. We actually saw it once in Portugal when we were there for the Euros and it, it, he had a yacht that had a helicopter pad at both ends of the yacht with a helicopter just sitting there waiting for him to go. So he didn't have to walk far. He was always close to a helicopter. No matter which side of the yacht he was on, he could always heli
0: out of there. Wow. Uh, Talking about players and their responsibilities, as I've acknowledged, some players have done incredibly generous things. There have been incredible individual donations by footballers. There have been some incredible collective gestures, and I mentioned the one made by Manchester United. Atletico Madrid, incidentally, their players have accepted a 70% pay cut this is the players in their first and second teams a 70% pay cut so that all of the other staff at the club can continue to be paid so again uh, good on them but there's been one or two incidents as i suppose is inevitable but jack grealish having to apologize for for breaking isolation uh, having you know been part of a A club video encouraging people to stay off the streets. Kyle Walker appearing in uh, pretty unsavoury sort of tabloid stuff. And I'm not going to go into the detail of that. But you just think, you know, if you are a footballer and you are earning these incredible sums of money, it's an obvious point, but it's true. There's a responsibility that goes with these vast sums that the people who pay your wages can only ever dream of. I don't think it even stops at the at the
1: financial side of it, Adrian, to be honest with you. I mean, something I took out of that Warsaw piece was that how lovely is it that the players are phoning people in the community and checking in on them? And, and that's at that end of the spectrum. But so I think there is a sort of a moral obligation that goes beyond money. These people like Jack Grealish, they are heroes to impressionable kids. And unfortunately, at that level, uh, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, I just think you've got to be kind of whiter than white, really, haven't you? You've got to lead by example. We thought that Liverpool would lead by example, given how we heard, as I was saying earlier, Jurgen Klopp really speaking out against um, serious you know, scientific reporting on this, speaking out in favour of it. Everyone's got to lead by example here. And like I say, you take the money out of the equation... These guys really need to step up and show them the best of themselves.
0: Yeah, we should pay tribute as well, before we close, Lawrence, to Pep Guardiola, the Manchester City manager. He made a massive donation to a hospital or the health service in his home country of Spain. It's emerged tonight that his 82-year-old mum... Has died of coronavirus. So, highly unlikely that Pep Guardiola will be listening to this podcast. But in all seriousness, I do pass on my sympathies and good wishes to him and his family. I know somebody at the moment who's waiting on the fate of their loved one in a hospital close to me in the West Midlands. And behind all this chat and chatter that we're having, there is a real nasty virus out there that tragically takes people's lives.
1: Thanks, Adrian, and just to just to echo those sentiments as well. Absolutely, to uh, to everyone during this very challenging time.